morning. God, we thank you for the wind of your spirit that even is now blowing through this place. We ask that you would speak to us the word that brings life, the word that created the heavens and the earth, the word that called forth your son Jesus to be born into this world in physical form, to bring to us your redemption, your grace, your mercy, and your forgiveness. God, as we turn to that word again this morning, would you speak to our hearts about your desire to bring us further and further into your life so that we can be your light in the darkness, that we can shine the gospel message of Jesus through all of our lives. In whose name we pray, amen. Good morning, my name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are in now our second week of our new series that we're calling Living Well. In this New Year's season, we want to talk a little bit about what does it mean to live well as Christians. What, as, as we talk about the, the nature of well-being and feeling satisfied and happy in life, what are the things that come together from a biblical perspective to help us understand what does it mean to be human in this world that God has given us, in this life that he's called us to live? And as we talked about last week, what we would like to suggest is that true well-being in life comes from the transforming power of the Spirit of God at work within us, this gift that God has given us through his son Jesus, who because he died and rose again from the dead, was able to send the, the comforter, send the advocate, send his spirit to not only be with us, but to be in us and to transform us from the inside out so that we could become like Jesus. As demonstrated by Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well in John 4, 13 to 14, Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so when we talk about living well, we want to be reminded that Jesus is always the center of our life. Jesus is the source of well-being for us. It is through his gift to us that we discover what we were truly created to be and to do and to become in life. In that sense, living well is all about learning how to become wise stewards of the lives that God has given us to live in Christ and through his spirit. It's about understanding the call of God on our lives. And allowing the Spirit of God to empower us to live out the deeper purposes for why God has created us and called us back to himself. In this process, we are suggesting that we discover a true sense of well-being when we're living out the, the deeper purpose of our lives as revealed in Christ. And this includes every aspect of our lives working together in wholeness and completion. Last week, we kicked off the series by talking a little bit about career well-being, and how we talked about as Christians, we have a calling to fulfill in life. This idea of vocation that we often apply to careers is so much greater and, and higher than we often attribute it to. A career is part of our calling as Christians, but it shouldn't be equated with our calling. A calling or a vocation is the summons of God to uh, live our whole lives for his glory. A career is part of that, but not the whole. And we understood at, as we look at our jobs and our occupations and the things that we do with our work as part of our calling, we understand that those are all places that God calls us to become servants to other people. The key to our calling as Christians is that we become servant leaders following Jesus' example. 
The first and primary goal of our lives is to be able to become servants in Jesus' name to those that God would call us to serve. So whatever your current occupation, whether you're a student or or you're employed or unemployed or you've had a career and you're now retired, the question is, how is God wanting to call you again in this new year season to use all the gifts and the talents and the experiences and the passions he's given you to be a servant to those around you? The second aspect of living well that we're going to look at today is physical well-being. God has given us these bodies to to enjoy and to live in, and being physically healthy and whole is a part of the gift that he's given us. Like every aspect of living well that we'll be looking at in this physical well-being isn't separated from our calling and our career and the other aspects of our life, but it's a piece of the larger whole. I'd like to suggest for us this morning, though, that in our overly health-conscious culture, there are two risks that we need to be prepared to avoid. The first risk is that we can over-focus on our bodies and our health and end up running the risk of a form of kind of idolatry where we actually worship our bodies and our fitness over God. And the second risk is that we can under-focus on our health and our fitness and end up falling victim to poor stewardship of the gift that God has given us, which is our our very self. Now remember, living well is about the wise stewardship of the gift that God has given us, these lives that he's given us to live. So our our goal for this morning is not going to be to lay out a, a physical fitness plan that we can all follow. There are tons of resources out there that you can follow, and we're, we're suggesting one resource that you can be looking at, a book called uh, Well-Being, and they talk about the five key areas of life where we can be exploring how can we improve our well-being by taking practical steps forward. But as we talked about this series, and we, we talked about physical well-being uh, among our preaching team, one of the challenges came to us. There isn't really a, a particular text in the Bible that really focuses on physical well-being. There's a few and a variety, but, but there wasn't something that in our modern mindset talks about physical fitness. And so we said, well, what is the biblical perspective on all of this? How can we understand biblically how to look at what our culture says is important, what scientific research is saying is effective, and make decisions for ourselves moving forward as Christians? So today I'd like to spend a little time doing kind of a, an overview of a biblical perspective on our physical lives and health from, from a larger overarching perspective from Scripture. So we're going to jump through a variety of different texts this morning rather than kind of drilling down into one text. But before we do that, I just have to uh, confess that this is an area where I'm going to be preaching to the choir. You know, I, I struggle with this area in my life. I, you know, I want to be physically fit. I want to have healthy routines and make wise choices in what I'm eating and all of those things. But I have to confess, in the busyness of life, when, when I get into the routines of things and I feel stressed and overwhelmed, it's, it's really easy to just let that stuff go and to focus on, you know, eating for comfort and, and not worrying about getting to the gym or even just getting outside to walk. It's easier to just turn on the TV and sit on the couch or play a game on my phone, right? So, so as I go through this, please know, uh, this is a sermon that is first and foremost for me, and I invite you to join with me as we look at Scripture and understand how God might be calling us and challenging us to take seriously again our, our physical health and well-being, but also to not take it too seriously at the same time. 
The first thing that we have to understand uh, as we look to our physical fitness and well-being is that we are created beings, right? If you think from a biblical perspective, we are created by God. And as physical creatures, we recognize that, that in our bodies themselves, the Bible tells us we are made in God's image. And so our physicality is a, is a fundamental part of what it means to be human. Our physical bodies are integral to our human identity, and our spiritual lives are not separate from our physicality, but are two sides of the same coin. We cannot separate our physical lives from our spiritual lives because the body and the spirit, according to the Bible, are woven together as one being when God created us. Let's, let's go back to the beginning and look at Genesis 1, verses uh, 26 and 27. If we have that on the screen, we'll, we'll read that together. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male And female, he created them. See, in our very bodies, we bear the image of God in some mysterious way. His his personality, his character, his, his idea of us carrying forward his passion for his creation is woven into our very being. And then if you go to the second chapter of Genesis, where it goes a little into more detail about the creation experience, in verse 7 it says, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. As Greg has so uh, passionately shared with us this morning, is the very breath of God that he breathed into the nostrils of, of men and women when he created them, that made them alive, that brought them to life. And so we cannot separate the the spiritual aspect of our lives from the physical aspect of our lives. It's the coming together with the very breath of God in us that makes us who we are. Breath and wind and spirit in the Bible are very indistinguishable, and often the same words are used to describe the same things. God breathed into man and woman the breath of life. Bones and flesh became enlivened with spirit, and we became human beings as a result. That really is kind of a part B, but the the second point I'd like to make is that we are created by God as embodied spirits or as inspired bodies. Our physical lives and our spiritual lives are designed to work in harmony with one another. And and too often, scholars would suggest that the the Greek philosophical influence, which is much more dualistic, that says spiritual life and physical life are two separate realities, and somehow they they come together, but, but we need to treat them differently. The biblical perspective is very different. From ancient times, Hebrews always believed that the body and the spirit were part of one entity and that we have to understand them as a whole. We can go back to Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16, where we see the the perspective of the psalmist where he says, you created me, my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. What a a powerful image of being 
woven together by God. And one scholar, Robert Banks, who has written a book called The Complete Book of Everyday Christianity, which I've been quoting a lot from recently because it's a phenomenal book, talks about how the metaphor of weaving is so appropriate and vividly captures the body's connection with the spirit. Now, I'm not a a knitter or a weaver, so it was interesting to hear how he described the, the process of weaving. But apparently in weaving, there are the warp threads that run vertically, and then there's the weft threads that are woven horizontally. And as those are brought together, both are needed. And while you can speak of them separately, you can't actually have a finished product unless you have both the warp and the weft threads woven together. You can't, it can't be a weaving without both. And he suggests to us that the body, the, the weft horizontal threads of, of this physical life, when connected with the warp threads of the spiritual life that God gives us through the power of his spirit, is what truly makes us human beings. You see, and, and, and then we go on to understand, as scripture unfolds, that, that God, through the scripture and through his actions in history, affirms and confirms that our physical nature is a part of his gift and his passion for us. It's in the incarnation and resurrection of Jesus himself that we see God affirming the physical nature of our human life as being part of what he has come to redeem. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus came and fulfilled his earthly vocation through a physical body. The centrality of of the incarnation of God in the physical person of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus' physical body after his death affirms that, that our bodies are a part of God's intentional design for what it means for us to be human and to live in relationship with him as our creator. God saw what he created, it said in Genesis, and said it was good. See, we are our bodies, and we cannot understand ourselves separately from the creaturely nature that God has given us to live in this world. If God can honor the body enough to be revealed through it himself and to redeem us in our own fleshly natures, then we also need to take our bodies seriously as part of our spiritual lives as Christians. The Bible reminds us to embrace our bodies as a gift from God through which we too can fulfill our God-given calling, our vocation, even as Jesus did. Ultimately, we honor God and ourselves when we affirm the goodness of God's work in and through our bodies. But that can be hard to do, right? I mean, how many of us are really happy with our our bodies, (laughs) I mean, more often than not, and with our our cultural perspective on beauty and youth and health, aren't we more often conditioned to to look in the mirror and go, I don't really like my body. I don't like myself. I wish I could be different. But you see, I think a biblical perspective is that we have to understand that God has created us all uniquely and all different, and we live in a world that isn't perfect, and none of our physical bodies are perfect any more than we're perfect in our soul. God's invitation to us is to learn to love our bodies even as he loves our bodies as our creator. It's often the the negative view of ourself that that creates a vicious cycle where where even though we think we're we're motivated to make wiser choices, because we don't feel good about ourselves, we're actually motivated to make more negative choices. 
And so we get in this vicious cycle where, where we look in the mirror and we say, oh, I'm so unhappy. I wish I could lose 10 pounds. I wish I could get into the gym. I wish, I wish, I wish. And we think negatively, negatively, negatively. And we make resolutions and new plans, but then we don't follow through because no good deed comes from a negative motivation. You see, we have to come back to a starting place of love and forgiveness and grace, and we have to understand that God's perspective on us as physical human beings is he loves us just the way we are. And he wants us to make wise choices. He wants us to to be wise stewards of the gift he's given us, but we have to start from a, a positive motivation of accepting who we are, the way we are, and out of that, we can begin to make positive choices, not because we have to be better than we are, but because we have an invitation to live in a growing, healthy relationship with God that comes from a positive motivation of grace. It's a totally different approach to making wise choices in our lives. That leads us to the fourth point I'd like to make, that, that the Bible also acknowledges that our bodies are frail and limited. We would love to be superhuman people, right, that can do anything and, and conquer every, every goal, but, but the Apostle Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians that we have this treasure of God's Spirit in clay jars. In verses 7 through 9 of chapter 4, he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed where? In our body. You see, even in, in the very life that we're called to live as Christians, our physical life is a part of living out this gift that God has given us through Jesus. He knows that we're not perfect. He knows that our bodies are frail and that we run the risk of of illness and disease and even being persecuted by evil people in the world who, who don't love Jesus and are against God's ways. In fact, all of us know that that the statistics on death are pretty convincing, right? One out of one every person dies. And so we're reminded by the very frailness of our physical nature that that we have to rely on God. We have to rely on a redeemer and a savior and a God who loves us. But because he's demonstrated through his son Jesus that death isn't the last word and that even though we live in a broken and a fallen world with, with broken and failing bodies, he has the power to overcome even death. And in the resurrection of Christ, we know that we can live forever with him, even though these particular bodies are not going to make it all the way there. Our bodies are not perfect. Bones like clay can be broken and cracked. Bodies succumb to everyday annoyances of colds and flu and stress and fatigue and disease. But they can be a spiritual reminder of the one who created us and who loves us and has promised to transform us. And we can take care of our bodies to the best of our ability. And what we discover as we we have a positive focus on caring for ourselves physically, that eating and sleeping and resting and washing and walking and dressing and even our sexuality can all be activities that are brought into our spiritual lives with God and become a part of our worship of God 
which is really the next point. Uh, Worshiping God isn't just a spiritual activity, it's a physical activity. The Bible invites us to use our bodies in worship to God. Now, maybe that might be here on Sunday morning, like raising a hand while we're singing, but more importantly, I think the Bible talks about all of the choices that we make and the actions that we perform in life are brought into the act of worship when we understand that our spiritual lives and our physical lives cannot be separated but are a part of the same whole. Our spiritual worship is enacted in our physical bodies when we use them to live out the calling that God has given us to perform, our vocation in life. That was Paul's perspective in Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? Where he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We worship God with our physical bodies, Paul says. Do not, do not be confused with the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, his will for your life, his will for my life, his will for us as a church. See, we need to learn to, to live out God's calling in our life with our physical bodies, in our work, and in our actions, and in our relationships. And as we do so, as we make wise choices with what we eat and how we spend our time and whether we allow ourselves to exercise, that becomes a part of our life of worship in God. Every act of life becomes an act of worship, and all of life comes, becomes about living for God's glory and not for our own. Which leads us to our last point for this morning, to look at a a biblical perspective on our physical bodies, is that our bodies are a temple of God's Holy Spirit. Our bodies are a temple of God's Holy Spirit. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Now, it's easy for us to take this a verse like this and apply it individualistically to, to our lives as American Western Christians, but, but the larger context here is he's talking about the church. He's talking about Christian community. As we come together and we put our physical bodies in the same place and we live in relationship with one another, God says that we are all like bricks in the building. We are all brought together to form the temple of God's Holy Spirit because the same spirit that is in you is the spirit that is in me. And as we live out our physical life, we cannot live as isolated individuals. We need the gift of one another. And in this new, new year season, if you hope to make some positive changes in, in your physical life, whether it's for, for eating well or getting healthier or, or, or finding a, a new career path or, or a, a new kind of job or work, what we learn not only from scripture but also from research is that the number one factor in successful life change is accountability in community, a place of safety and trust where we have trusted friends who can hold us accountable to the commitments that we make to ourselves. Not in a negative way or a heavy-handed way. I mean, last week we talked about how Jesus said, you know, the Gentiles lord their authority over each other. Not so with you. Instead, you need to be servants of one another. See, we need to come together and say, If you're not satisfied with the way your life is right now, what are the things that you want to work on? How do you want to change? What are some practical steps that you can take 
Share those with your trusted friends, and then let's hold each other accountable to that. Check in with one another regularly on a weekly basis. How are you doing at following your goal? Are you living up to it? Because if you're like me, if you kind of make that commitment just between you and God and you don't tell anybody else, well, you know, it's kind of easy to say, well, I tried. I had a, a, a counselor in Phoenix who, who, who would hold me accountable to things that I had said I wanted to do and He'd say, well, how did you do on that? I'd say, well, I tried. And pretty soon he said, okay, you cannot use the word try anymore. (laughs) Because trying isn't the same as doing. We can try all we want, but unless we actually do, we're not following through on the commitments that we make to ourselves and to one another. And ultimately, this whole perspective is that God wants us to make honest commitments to him. He's our creator. If we have accepted his gift to follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then we make commitments to him because not, not because he wants to lord it over us, because he knows what's best for our lives. He wants us to be happy and healthy and whole to the best of our ability, even though we know that it will never be perfect this side of heaven. See, especially when we live in Christian community with one another, we are living out the physical reality of our spiritual lives in this gift of life that God has given us. So if we take this biblical perspective and we begin to take our bodies seriously as an important aspect of our spiritual lives, what can we begin to do to make a difference in our lives? Well, I would like to say, Much of what we know from education and common sense is readily available to us on the website, in all kinds of books. In in the uh, well-being book, they've done a lot of research over a number of 50 years, relying on some of the Gallup research that people have done. And, And I love that they've really narrowed it down to three simple things that we can focus on if we want to. It makes a lot of sense. Food, exercise, and sleep. You know, the food we eat, they suggest, has a profound effect on our health. Uh, The key to opting for healthier foods at each turn is recognizing the positive benefits that we get when we eat healthier. Uh, They suggest that as our research goes on, the healthier foods actually curb our hunger for longer periods of time, and they boost our energy levels in the process, while unhealthy foods do just the opposite. We, we go and eat junk food, and it actually makes us more hungry, and we decide we need to eat more, and it actually decreases our energy levels, and so we become more and more lethargic. So the food we eat can actually be a benefit in helping us move in the direction that we want to go. The second thing, just from research, is that 20 minutes of exercise every day can boost our mood and energy levels for up to 12 hours after that exercise. 20 minutes, and it, it has to be vigorous exercise. You can't just be, you know... Okay, you know, get out and do a, a brisk walk or a run or do some weightlifting or something for 20, but 20 minutes a day boosts our energy level and our mood for the 12 hours following that. Just going out for a 20-minute walk at a brisk pace can change your perspective on your day. On the other hand, they say a lack of energy actually results from inactivity. The, the less active we are, the more tired we become. It's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? But, but if you sit around and you don't actually get your heart pumping and get the, the adrenaline going, your body becomes more lethargic and it gets harder to get off the couch and to get moving. And so they suggest if you're feeling tired, the best thing you can do is get up and go for a quick walk. Just get your blood flowing. You'll actually feel more energy as a result of being active. The more active we are, the more energy we have. The more inactive we are, the less energy we have. 
And another one that's really important and they suggest that is at epidemic proportions in our Western culture is sleep. Seven to eight hours of sleep is required for our minds to regenerate themselves and to to produce the benefits of what we need. And yet most people, the average hours of sleep today is 6.7, and that's the average. So a lot of people in our culture are getting less than six hours of sleep a night. And they said if you get less than six hours of sleep a night or or more than nine, which is also detrimental, it, it doesn't produce the result for which it was given. And yet God has designed us with this, this rhythm of our days and our weeks. And we see that in very creation is that sleep is designed to be the reset button for our minds and our emotions and our bodies. They say we actually do more processing in our sleep than we do when we're awake. We learn better when we go through experiences during the day, but then we have adequate sleep because while we're sleeping, our brain actually connects the dots from the things that we've learned or practiced, and you get up the next day, and you've actually learned more by getting good sleep. People thriving in physical well-being, they suggest, are effectively working at managing their health in consistent ways. See, it's not how much you do. It's whether you're doing things in a consistent and disciplined way. And that's no matter what age or stage of life. One of the people that they researched, his name was Dave, and he was 88 years old. And Dave's secret to healthy well-being is he said, I stay busy. I stay busy. I get up in the morning, I get out, and I take a walk, and I go to the gym, and I exercise a little bit. I I go to my kids' houses, and I help work on home projects for them. I do 10 to 12 minutes of stretching to try and keep limber every day. I just keep busy. And as a result of keeping busy, he had a higher sense of confidence in his own physical well-being, even at 88 years old. Now, one of the things that we're going to do in uh, about a month, on March 4th, our, our own physical therapist, John Miller, is going to do a workshop on physical well-being where you can come on sat- that Saturday, and no matter what age you're at, you can learn about some very simple and positive ways that you can be building healthier processes into your life. And then sometimes it might even be things as simple as posture and being able to stretch, and, and how do you deal with a person who's you know, on the screen 24 hours a day, and a lot of those kind of simple things in our modern life. So mark your calendars on March 4th. John Miller is going to walk us through some, some ideas of how we can be pursuing a healthier lifestyle as Christians. Like every aspect of living well, though, that we'll be looking at in this series, physical well-being, I'd like to close with, is directly related to our calling as Christians. Thus, whatever career path we pursue, whatever job we perform, whatever we think God is calling us to do, our physical well-being is a part of the stewardship that we need to maintain in order to live out that calling well. But let's be reminded that in our overly health-conscious culture, if we over-focus on our health, that's not good. But if we under-focus on our health and don't pay attention to what God is asking of us, that's not good either. Living well is all about becoming wise stewards of this gift of life that God has given us. It's about understanding the call of God in our lives and allowing the Spirit of God to empower us to make wise choices in the life that he's given us to live. And as we do, we discover that well-being comes as we know that we are living out the deeper purpose for which God has called us into relationship with his son Jesus. Would you pray with me?